Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. All right, Venture, it is awesome to be back with you today. And welcome to everyone who's watching online as well. Hey, if you're our guest, you're joining us for part two of a little two-part series called Jesus Skeptic within the summers, our special series. And last week I shared with you guys a little bit of my journey as an investigative reporter who was skeptical about Jesus, a little of the evidence that I found in my 10 plus years researching. And today I wanna talk with you about something that I guarantee you and I have in common, and it's this, we all want to be happy. We all want to be fulfilled, and I don't just mean happy like the moment when your team wins the big game or happy like the time while you're at Disneyland, but I mean lasting internal fulfillment. I'm talking about deep inner peace. We all chase it. We all go after it in different ways, and in fact, I think many people waste a lot of years of their lives by never identifying what am I really looking to to deliver fulfillment for me. We chase it in ways that we don't identify. Uh, For example, I can tell you exactly what I believed would deliver fulfillment and happiness for about the first 23 years of my life. And it was this, it was cars. Anything with four wheels. I know some of you don't get this, but I am a total car person. And as a kid, I mean, some, some kids are into sports, some kids are into animals. For me, it was cars. Every birthday, I would ask for subscriptions to Motor Trend, to Car and Driver, to Road and Track. I had all these metal model cars around my bedroom wall, and I was just convinced that fulfillment would be found in cars. I mean, if I could drive my dream cars, if I could be around the nicest cars, like surely that would bring fulfillment. Well, at age 20, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in journalism, my undergrad, and I went to work for a newspaper in Scottsdale, Arizona. By age 22, uh, they had promoted me to be an editor there at the newspaper. And part of being an editor was that I got to be in charge of the press fleet. What is the press fleet? Well, it's a motor pool of brand new cars that the manufacturers set aside for journalists to drive so they can review them. So when you read about a car in the New York Times or in Motor Trend, it comes from this motor pool. So I got access to this for all of the Phoenix market. And what it meant was that at age 22, every week I was driving a different brand new car that I didn't pay anything for. I didn't have to pay for the gas, the insurance, anything. Not only that, I would just send an email of what I wanted. They would deliver it to my house with a full tank of gas. So literally, it's like, well, do I want the new supercharged Range Rover? Do I want the new Jaguar two-door coupe? Mm, Life is tough. (laughs) Tough choices. Here's a picture of me at the wheel of an Audi during that time. And uh, oh, yeah, I've got to do this myself. Here we go. All right. Let me tell you what I learned when I achieved the thing that I was sure would bring me fulfillment. First thing, and this might surprise you, I learned this, cars are awesome. (laughs) I was right about that part. Here's what surprised me though. I learned that if uh, I was driving a really great car, let's say like a Mercedes AMG that cost over $150,000 and I had a really bad day, 
Maybe my girlfriend broke up with me and I slid into the leather seat of the Mercedes AMG. Guess what? It was still a really bad day. <laughs> and I learned, cause every once in a while, you know, I'd have to test drive an economy car, an entry level car where you close the door and it sounds like a tin can and it's got the wind up windows. And I learned that if I was having a really good day and I was really uh, fulfilled and relationships were good and life was good that when I slammed the tin can door closed on the economy car, it was still a really good day. I learned that, you know, as great as cars are and they're super fun, I still love them. They couldn't deliver the ultimate fulfillment that I was seeking. I got what I had always wanted and I found that I was still thirsty for something more. I wonder, can you relate to that? Have you ever felt that way in your life where you work so hard, you get the degree or you get the promotion or, or you get uh, the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the house or the spouse or the car. And it's not that those things are bad. I mean, life's better with them than without them. And yet the fulfillment that you thought would be there, it's not fully there. Maybe you thought having a baby would make you happy and instead all it's done is make you sleep deprived. <laughs> Maybe you thought the promotion would, would be the thing and now that you've got the promotion, it is just so much stress, so much is expected of you. Maybe you thought the bigger house, that's the thing. I mean, if we had a bigger yard or more square footage and then you get it and you realize this is so much more to maintain. This takes so much more work. Maybe you thought if I can marry that person, that'll be happily ever after. And if you're married, you know, I mean, no matter how great of a person you marry, it's full of hard work and heartbreak and unmet expectations. Live long enough and you will experience this feeling of a lack of fulfillment, even after you've chased after fulfillment with all that you have. So here's my question for you today. Would you wanna discover how to find a fulfillment that lasts. Whether you're driving the economy car or your dream car, peace that lasts. And today I wanna talk with you about the definitive feature of Jesus' claims because Jesus, who last week we saw, it's objectively true that he lived. He's documented by lots of non-Christian writers of his lifetime like Josephus and Tacitus and Suetonius, these people weren't Christians. We know he lived. We know that we have an accurate record of his words. And here's what's bizarre. He claims that he can give you the fulfillment that nothing else can. And he put it this way in John chapter 10. He said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Now, uh, let me step away for a moment to just say this. How bizarre of a thing for a human to claim. Like, think about this. This was an actual person. Imagine that you're at a party and you get your drink and you sit down and some dude comes and sits next to you and he looks at you and says, hey, I've come that you might have life. And fulfilling life. You'd be like, woo, weird. Who talks like that? And that's what I realized as I started to read the words of Jesus objectively was, this guy doesn't talk like a normal person. His whole assumption is that he's the creator of the universe, that, that you wouldn't exist without him and that he has everything you need for fulfillment. 
normal people don't talk like that, either crazy people do, or what if, I mean, what if it's true? He's either crazy or he's God. There's not a lot of room in the middle to be like, well, he's just a great moral inspirational teacher who claims to be the God of the universe. He claims that he can give you a source of fulfillment that will never run dry. He says this over and over again in many ways. Here's how he put it in John chapter four. He said, whoever drinks the water I give them. And he's not just talking about literal water. He's talking about all the thirsts that you have. The thirst for identity, the thirst for fulfillment, the thirst for acceptance, the thirst for affirmation. Every thirst you have, Jesus says, no matter what other thing you drink, success, pleasure, wealth, you'll drink it and you'll get thirsty again. I'm not a millionaire, but I've got lots of friends who are, and many of them have told me this, John, I thought if I had a million dollars, that would be it. And then I got a million dollars and I realized, no, I need to have 2 million. And then it was five, and then it was 10. And guess what? It never ends. It's never enough. You're always still thirsty for more. Jesus says, I'm the only thing that if you will drink me, if you'll look to me to be your fulfillment, you'll never thirst again. Radical claims, outrageous claims. But are they actually true? I mean, let's just consider this honestly. Could Jesus give you the lasting fulfillment that nothing else can? Might it be true? Could he do that for you? We're gonna consider that today. And last week I told you a little of my journey from being a, a skeptical person by nature, a professional skeptic as an investigative reporter, researching the life and the influence of Jesus. And after more than a decade of doing that, there's hundreds of things I could share with you, but here are three primary buckets of evidence as my mountains of data collected. I raised these three primary groups. There's the ancient evidence and all, all that's documented in my book, Jesus Skeptic, many other people have documented it that we know from ancient artifacts and from reliable ancient manuscripts, this guy lived and we have as accurate a record of what he said as we do of Socrates or Plato or Aristotle, actually more accurate. We actually have more copies of what Jesus said than of what Shakespeare wrote, who's far more recent in history as far as ancient copies go. So that's the ancient evidence and, and every one of those pieces you could go deep into. Last week, we looked at hospitals which is just one of the pieces of what I call external evidence. In other words, what is the impact that this guy who lived 2000 years ago in Nazareth, this peasant prophet, what has been his impact on humanity? And last week we saw that uh, remarkably, the Mayo Clinic was started by a follower of Jesus. So was Johns Hopkins, so was Massachusetts General. Why is one of the best hospitals in this area called Good Samaritan? Well, that's one of Jesus' stories about the Good Samaritan who helps people. And we learned that medical care as we take for granted wouldn't exist if not for specific people, it's not an opinion, it's all documented, who were motivated by the teachings of Jesus. Now, you could do a drop-down menu because the same thing is true of universities. 
Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford was started by Christians, Berkeley was started by a Baptist pastor, all the UC schools, if you trace them back, started as seminaries. We wouldn't have universities as we know it without followers of Jesus. We wouldn't have literacy, our ability to read. Uh, even women's rights were not there yet, but the women's rights that, that we do have came about from universities that were started by Christians and people who were taught to think that way. So I could go on and on about those. And actually, if you're interested in those, uh, I would encourage you to get a copy of the book, Jesus Skeptic. My favorite thing about that book is it's got hundreds of images in it. So when in the book I say, Blaise Pascal, Isaac Newton, Johannes Kepler were followers of Jesus, I actually show you images from their journals, which we still have, or they have over in England. And you can see for yourself these guys writing about Jesus and how he influenced them as scientific thinkers. So that book is full of evidence. If you go to jesusskeptic.com, much of the evidence is there, all freely available. Also at jesusskeptic.com, there's about a 96 page study guide, totally free, that you can go through if you wanna learn more about this. But let's look back at these three categories because any one of these, you could spend years of your life investigating, I did. And what I learned is this third kind of evidence, it seems the most subjective, internal evidence. Because fulfillment is an internal thing, right? Only you know, are you fulfilled or are you not fulfilled? I mean, a sociologist can try to put together some questions and try to determine that from the outside, but fulfillment's a very internal thing. And so is this third category subjective? Yes, it is, but here's the thing, you're the subject. It's about you, because here's what God says in the Bible, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus' assumption is that you're more than a mind and a body. There's an eternal part of you. Whether or not you believe that yet, that was Jesus' claim and assumption. Part of that is your heart. And you can pursue God intellectually. Jesus is intellectually valid. If he wasn't, Isaac Newton wouldn't have believed in him. I mean, Isaac Newton, one of the smartest people who's ever lived. If you read the guy's writings, just a genius. And Isaac Newton's one of many. Jesus is intellectually valid. You don't have to be slow or non-intellectual to believe in Jesus. He's intellectually valid and yet your mind can only take you so far in the pursuit because you're more than a mind. Whether you believe it or not, you are more than a mind. There's an eternal part of you. There's an everlasting part of you. And God says this, you'll experience the fulfillment that I offer if you'll seek me with your heart, with your eternal part of you. I'll give you an example of this. When I started my journalism career, at age 20, one of the first stories that my newspaper editor gave to me was an expose on skydiving. Uh, Scottsdale's in Arizona and people fly from all around the country to go jump out of planes in Arizona. It's the best place to do it because there's very few clouds and there's lots of open desert. And, and my editor said this, John, I, I, yeah, I want a little bit of the human interest side of what it's like, but really, John, I want the hard-hitting statistics. How many people die every year in Arizona? Here, here's how twisted my editor was. He said, John, 
I want to know how high the body bounces if the parachute doesn't open. (laughs) And then right after saying that, he said this, and you're going to go skydiving to tell the story. (laughs) Because John, it's one thing to gather all the data and learn all the statistics and talk to the people who've done it. But if you really want to know the story, you're going to jump out of a plane. And guess what? When I jumped out of that plane, the parachute, it didn't, obviously I lived, but we did not land where we were supposed to. It was a hard landing. And I learned a lot more about skydiving than if I had just intellectually pursued it. I had to actually try it. And this was true all throughout different kinds of stories. I mean, when I would do stories on heroin addiction and drug addiction, obviously I didn't do the drugs, but I would get into the drug house. I would... I would interview and I would get sources who could connect me with the the underbelly, the the drug dealers get in the drug house. And then the next day I'd ride with the police officer who covers that beat. I'd get the story from every angle. And I started to realize in my pursuit of Jesus that he he lived, the things he said are profound. People who believe them claim that they work. They claim this fulfillment. Some of those people who believe those things are very bright people people like the Reverend John Harvard and others who've made these great advances for humanity. And it got me up to this point where I realized I've taken this intellectually to where it's valid, but I'm gonna have to do a ride along. I'm gonna have to dip my toes in the water to know if this is actually true. I'm gonna have to give this a chance. Now I'll tell you a funny story to illustrate maybe what this is like, actually for all of us. If you're here and you're a Hindu, atheist, agnostic, um, we're all pursuing fulfillment and we all step into different currents that we believe will carry us to fulfillment. (laughs) I grew up in Michigan and I'm the youngest of four boys. And this is an actual waterfall at a cabin that we would go to in the summers. And uh, there's a whole story around this waterfall. It's a bigger in real life than it looks in this picture because these are pretty high ledges. And so usually we would go here and we would fish off these cliffs and maybe do a picnic up at the top. Uh, Three older brothers I mentioned, they're all very athletic. Obviously I, I didn't get that gene. I got a double dose of the nerd gene instead, but. One of my older brothers who very strong, very athletic, Uh, He decided, he had these new water shoes, so I was probably late elementary, he was in high school, and he decided that he was gonna inch his way across at the top because the river, it looks very calm at the top. And he he just decided, you know, he was working out and everything, he was gonna kind of show us all that he was stronger than the current. And so he's at the top and he's kind of inching his way across And there was this moment, I'll never forget it, that uh, I was messing around hunting for frogs or butterflies or whatever up here on the riverbanks. And I'm seeing my brother out of the corner of my eye and my peripheral vision. And then I just see this little flick of movement and I hear this whooshing noise. And I look and my brother's gone. So my other brothers, we all run and we watch him. (laughs) We watch him as the current carries him down these stairs, you know, some of these things are eight, 10 feet tall and he keeps going down and there's this pool here. And we're all watching because the water's just driving him down. And once it carries him and the water's just pushing down in this pool, we had no idea that it was actually really deep there. 
And we're all watching because we see his head go underwater and we see the white water around and we're all just watching like, is David's head, is he gonna pop up out of the water? Is he gonna live? Now, as a youngest in a very small home with very few bedrooms, I will confess <laughs> that I, I may have slightly been thinking, if he doesn't pop up, I'm gonna get his bedroom. <laughs> the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, the Bible says. But he did pop up, his head eventually popped up and uh, he lived, he was fine. And uh, he, he's a great guy and a great friend to this day. But I'll tell you this, my brothers and I, after that day, will never underestimate the power of moving water. You know, sometimes you'll see stories on the news of uh, a river that's overflowing and someone tries to drive through because they've got a big truck or a Jeep and it just washes the whole vehicle away. My brothers and I will never make that mistake again. We've learned the hard way, the power of a current. The reality is when you step into a current that's strong enough, it's gonna take you where it's going. And the sad thing is, I mean, you look at the homeless people, you look at people who are drug addicted, you, you look at people who stepped into a current, no one starts a drug addiction thinking, I, I wanna lose my job, lose my home, you know, sleep on a court, cardboard box, and you know, every day just exist to get one more hit. No one steps into the current thinking that. They think, man, I, I'm exhausted, I have nothing else, I need an escape, this feels good. This will take me where I wanna go. This will give me the fulfillment that I want. And perhaps in less dramatic ways, we all step into our dream career, our dream car, our dream partner, and it doesn't always take us where we wanna go. I mentioned that I got the double gene of being a nerd, and part of that was this very analytical approach as I was working as a news reporter interviewing NFL athletes and billionaires and heroin addicts and realizing I'm at the start of my adult life. I can watch these other people who jump in the currents. I can analyze where does that current go before I jump into it. And what I started to see was the people who had the fulfillment I was looking for increasingly were these sincere followers of Jesus. Not always churchy people, not always religious people, but people who really believed the words of Jesus. They had this fulfillment. And I met other people who had given everything they had to be wealthy or to be successful. And yet the current hadn't taken them where they thought it would. I realized this. I'll never know for sure if the current of Jesus can carry me to fulfillment. I'll never actually know unless I step in. Yeah, there's a lot of analyzing I can do from the riverbanks, but ultimately I've got to have a moment where I step in if I actually want to know. And so here's my question for you. Could Jesus give you a fulfillment that nobody else and nothing else can? Might it be true? And the reality is you'll never know unless you get in the current and try it. Could Jesus give you a peace that even if you're going through cancer treatment, even if you're in an MRI tube getting a brain scan, you have a peace that surpasses understanding. Could he? You'll never know unless you try it. Could he give you a security and a fulfillment that whether you lose your job, whether the company you work for 
has mass layoffs or even completely dissolves or democracy dissolves that you just know internally you're gonna be okay, could he? You'll never know unless you try it. I wanna tell you two true stories of real people in our lifetimes who gave everything they had to find fulfillment. I had a front row seat to these two stories as a journalist because they were both in-depth profiles that I wrote. Now, as my career progressed, um, the kind of reporting I did was the kind where I would spend three months, sometimes six months on very, very in-depth stories. So when I would write a profile on a person, uh, I would literally, I would talk to their parents if they're alive, I would talk to their ex-spouses, I would go to their childhood home, I would, I mean, it's like being a professional stalker, pretty much. You talk to everyone who knows this person to get a full 360 degree view of their life so that what you're writing in one of these long in-depth profiles isn't just a puff piece or, or what they want you to write. It's the truth of who they are. And these are two men who I spent months documenting their lives, talking with everyone who knows them closely. And what they both have in common is this, both of these guys gave everything they had in the pursuit of fulfillment probably more aggressively than many of us would, but we can watch and we can see where it took them. And the first I'll tell you about is a guy named Scott Coles. Scott Coles uh, worked in real estate investing and by age 42, he had amassed a fortune of one billion with a B dollars. Uh, primarily started in the Phoenix area, but then over into Southern California, up into LA. At age 42, and if you need a math refresher, what is a billion? Well, uh, just imagine right now that I give you a million dollars. You're welcome. Multiply that by a hundred. You're set now for multiple lifetimes. Multiply that by 10. That's where Scott Coles was at age 42. He had homes that were really estates in the wealthiest areas of Aspen, Colorado, Coronado, San Diego area. On Camelback Mountain, which is the wealthiest area of Phoenix and Scottsdale, um, Scott Coles bought up multiple neighboring mansions, tore them down so that behind his mansion, he could have an 18 hole golf course. As a car guy, when I saw Scott Coles garage, I mean, Rolls Royce, Bentley, Ferrari, not, not like new Ferrari, like the, you know, 10, 15, $20 million vintage Ferraris, healthy, beautiful wife, healthy kids. Around age 40, he decided his wife wasn't quite enough to fulfill him anymore. So he, on many trips to Las Vegas, found who he thought was the most beautiful showgirl, divorced his wife, brought her home. Everything a person could go after for fulfillment, Scott Coles did. And at age 42, in the prime of his life, having everything, that so many people think if I had that, then I'd be happy. Scott Coles laid down in his bed and he intentionally overdosed and left a letter of why he was committing suicide to end his life because it just wasn't worth it anymore. I saw it firsthand. It revealed this to me, many roads marked fulfillment. The sign on the road says fulfillment. They turn out not only to not deliver, but to be life devouring dead ends. And here's, 
I am here to serve you today, whether you believe in Jesus or not. And I, I just objectively, I wanna say this, have you thought about the road that you're on that you believe will lead you to fulfillment? Have you ever in all the noise of our culture of social media and news and everyone's opinions, have you ever taken an afternoon to just sit down with a piece of paper and write out this, I believe blank will bring fulfillment in my life. I mean, have you even thought about it? And please, whether you agree with me about Jesus or not, please take the time to actually be intentional and clarify what are you going after for fulfillment? Because when I saw Scott Coles, when I learned that he had taken his life, I realized this, man, I better not go down that road because I, I'm never gonna get as far down that road as he got. I mean, I, I'm fairly smart, but I'm probably not gonna make a billion dollars. I'm probably not gonna have estates in Aspen and an 18 hole golf course on Camelback Mountain and, and a vintage Ferrari among my whole collection. If all of that didn't work for him, then should I really go down that road? And more than anything, my heart today is to help you in your life by encouraging you to be thoughtful about your life and ask yourself, what am I really hoping will carry me to fulfillment? Most, one of the most important questions you can answer in your life. Well, another guy who I had a front row seat to, Brian Welch, Grammy-winning musician, millionaire, Spent three months with Brian and his daughter, Jenna. At the time, Brian's music videos were playing on MTV. He had investments all around California. Spent all this time with him and his daughter. We spent a bunch of meals together. And Brian told me about the low point of his life, which most people would think is the high point. It was a night after winning a Grammy at one of his mansions in LA, having a whole bunch of famous musicians and celebrities over and a whole lot of drugs. Brian had this huge pool. He and his wife were both addicted to meth at that point. And he told me about him and his wife being so high that he wouldn't even remember the fights with her, but he'd wake up and he'd see blood on his knuckles. And I mean, they were physically the, the, the effect of the drugs on them, they were physically beating each other up. But this is with having everything that most people think would make them happy. Achievement, check. Fame, check. Wealth, check. Everything. But it's so empty that he turns to drugs. Brian told me about a time where he woke up after that party, after the Grammys. Everyone had gone home and his daughter Jenna, who was about two years old at the time, she had curled up on a pool chair right next to the edge of the pool at age two. And she had put herself asleep right there at the edge of the pool, no cover or anything. And Brian didn't even realize she was there until the morning when he woke up. That's how aggressive his pursuit of fulfillment at any cost was. And he described to me as he just tried everything he could sexual experimentation. I mean, just everything that's out there, just the emptiness. So empty that on one Easter Sunday, key moment of Brian's life, his brain still half functioning from drug addiction. He wandered into a church over near Bakersfield, a church a lot like this one. And being high at the time, 
He does not remember the whole sermon, but there is one claim of Jesus that cut right through all the confusion of his mind. And he remembers to this day, the pastor reading these words from Jesus when Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary. You're weary from trying to find peace, trying to find fulfillment, trying to figure out who you are in this crazy world and you're burdened currents you've jumped in that you thought would take you to fulfillment. Instead, they have battered you against the rocks. Jesus says, give me a try. Just come to me and give it a try and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Brian didn't understand much about the Bible or theology or he just knew I need that. And the difference between Brian's story and the billionaire who took his life is this, in the hunt for fulfillment, Brian finally decided, I might as well try Jesus because nothing else is working. And he gave it a try. It saved his life, it changed his life. Within three months, he was free from his meth addiction, which is part of why I wanted to profile him because I thought I've worked with enough meth addicts to know that doesn't happen but he was, he still is, he's transformed. You know, when I talk to all Scott Cole's closest friends, the billionaire who took his life, one after another, they said, nice guy, generous guy, not religious, didn't want anything to do with God, with that stuff, just Scott Cole's never gave it a try. Man, believers in the audience, could you imagine if someone he was doing a real estate deal had said, hey Scott, nice car, but can I tell you where real fulfillment's found? I mean, what if someone had told that to Scott Coles? It could have changed his life. He never tried it, tried everything else. Brian Welch tried it and he found it to be true. He stepped into the current. Jesus said, come to me. And Brian said, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm gonna try it from my heart. And the current carried him to peace. I wonder where do you need rest? It's available today, but the requirement is this. You do have to open your heart to Jesus. You don't have to agree with everything a church says. You don't have to have a perfect theological statement. Yes, there's an intellectual side to it, but the heart side, come to Jesus. Brian Welch found in Jesus something that he couldn't find anywhere else. And I saw this firsthand with my own eyes as I spent time with him and his daughter driving around in his seven series BMW and him saying, John, this car, all this other stuff. In fact, here's how he put it. One time we were sitting at a PF Chang's and Brian said this, John, I had 3 million in cash sitting in the bank. I had all the cars I wanted. I had a $200,000 pool, nannies, the nicest house, real estate in California. And I was miserable. Now I'm not here declaring that any of those are bad things. But let the life of Scott Coles and the life of Brian Welch testify to you today that if you think those things will give you ultimate fulfillment for your soul, you can run down the riverbank and look at people who've done that. It doesn't. And then Brian continued and he said this, then I found God and I was like, this is all I've ever wanted. I didn't find what I was looking for in all that stuff. 
Because if the words of Jesus are actually true, when your body wears out somewhere between age 70 and maybe 120, if you're real fortunate and have amazing luck and medical care, what's gonna come of you? If you have a soul, if there's an eternity, if there's a creator, then being connected to that creator is fulfillment. And so don't be narrow-minded in saying, I'm never gonna try Jesus. I'll try everything else but Jesus. If you do that, you're, you're the one who's narrow-minded, not the Christians. If you're seeking fulfillment and inner rest, you are the kind of person who Jesus invites and who Jesus helps. And on the intellectual side, part of this, the proof of this, there is that a Brian Welch is, is one of two billion people in the world today, one out of three people alive today who claim to be followers of Jesus. Are some of them weirdos? Are some of them probably not actually followers of Jesus but claim to be Christians? Are some of them broken and hateful? Absolutely. But if you will really look into it, you'll find story after story of people like Brian Welch and you'll find people who whether they're multimillionaires or live very humble lives, said that in Jesus, I have found the fulfillment that I was always seeking. And he gives me peace through cancer treatment. He gives me peace when democracy seems to be imploding. He, he gives me calm. I know I have an eternal home. I have rest for my soul. I saw this in Brian's life and now I've experienced this in my life. You can experience this too. I mean, if someone had told me years ago, John, someday you'll be a pastor. You'll give up the press fleet. You'll give up, you know, a career that you love to tell people about Jesus. I would say, no, no, pastors are weird. <laughs> Churches are weird. Why would I do that? Very simply, it works. It's real. I have had a front row seat to so many people chasing fulfillment. I I've seen it. And please, if you're not there yet to believe today, please at the very least leave here today saying, I'm gonna actually be intentional to be a, a student of humanity and say, what actually brings lasting fulfillment? And I'm gonna be as open-minded about Jesus as I would about Buddha or anything else and just have an actual honest exploration with your mind and then with your heart. Well, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, John, you know, interesting story about Brian Welch and the billionaire guy, I don't really relate to that. I, I don't relate that much. I'm not a, a billionaire or a Grammy-winning musician. I've never done illegal drugs. I've, I've never gone down that path, even when I was skeptical. I'm, you know, I, I'm the guy who graduated college early and got a good job and worked really hard. And, and that's probably more of you listening than those go into the extreme ends of fulfillment. As I began reading the ancient writings around Jesus' life, I came across one of the first skeptics of Jesus. It's a man who lived during Jesus' own lifetime. In fact, he had seen Jesus with his own eyes, so he was not a skeptic of whether or not Jesus existed. But he was very skeptical about Jesus' audacious claims to be Almighty God, to give eternal life, to give fulfillment, to give peace. In fact, this guy wasn't just a casual skeptic of Jesus. He was offended that Jesus would claim to be God, that Jesus would claim to give this kind of fulfillment. But there's this radical story 
as he was around Christians of him having an encounter where Jesus changes him. He sees the difference in their lives and he comes to a point where he sees Jesus. This is after his death and resurrection, but I mean, he sees Jesus in the sense of he believes. And very much like I abandoned my career in journalism, this guy abandoned his whole career. He spent the rest of his life telling people Jesus is the real deal. The fulfillment you seek is found in him. And he wrote it this way in an ancient letter called the book of Romans. He said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the belief that Jesus is almighty God, that he willingly died on the cross to reconnect you back to God. And that anyone who will have the humility to say, Jesus, you're God, you're, I'm not God, you are. Be the God of my life, forgive what I've done wrong, connect me back to the Father, the creator of the universe. Anyone who believes will be saved, it's free. You don't have to buy it, you don't have to earn it, you don't have to be perfect, you come as you are, but you have to humble yourself and believe. That's what the gospel is. It's all that Jesus is God, he died on the cross for you and rose from the grave. And, and this former skeptic, he says, I'm not ashamed of this message. Even though people call me a weirdo and, and people call me a weirdo now, I'm a fanatic about this because it works. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. Why am I not ashamed? Because it's the actual power of God. You can tap into the power of the creator of the universe through Jesus. And this former skeptic saying, I have so experienced this and I've seen it change and help so many other people that I'm not ashamed of it. Even if people think I'm weird, it's the actual power of God and it brings salvation to everyone. It's not narrow, it's open to everyone. But God respects you enough to say this, do you want it? Do you wanna to choose to believe? If you'll choose to believe, it's open to you today. Fulfillment is found in Jesus. Peace is found in Jesus. I've seen it. I live it. Jesus invites you to find your fulfillment and your rest in him today. He invites you. How will you respond? Will you stand on the riverbanks with your arms crossed for the rest of your life till someday you breathe your final breath, unsure, hoping that maybe existence just ceases at the end, but never having tried the promise that I can give you, I can fulfill your thirsts in life. I can give you peace. God says this to you today, you will seek me and you will find me if you search for me with your heart my prayer for you today. Join Brian Welch, join me. Join far smarter people like Isaac Newton, Blaise Pascal, Johannes Kepler, Abraham Lincoln, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., Johns Hopkins, in saying, yes, this man lived. Yes, his words are documented. I'm gonna actually consider those words with my heart. And if you haven't yet gotten into the current, I'd invite you to join me. It does lead to fulfillment. It does lead to peace. Can I pray that for you today? Father, across this space and for everyone who's watching online right now, I would ask that you would reach into our hearts. 
do what you did in Brian Welch on that Easter Sunday. He was worn out from the pursuit of fulfillment. He didn't know a lot about you, but he decided, I'm gonna give it a try. Jesus, if you say, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I'm gonna come to you. Lord, I pray right now for the person who's resisted you or who's wandered from you, the person who's been searching for fulfillment in things that ultimately can't give them eternal life, can't give them inner peace, that right now in this moment, they would just move the levers of their heart. Faith is a choice, it's not a feeling. And that they would choose to say today, Jesus, I'm gonna give you a try. Jesus, I I choose to believe in you. I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave and God, I need this fulfillment that only you can give. I want this fulfillment that only you can give. I encourage you right now, pray that in your heart. Move the levers of your heart, move your will. Faith is a choice, it's not a feeling. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, may this be a moment where you examine the path of your life. Are you looking to fame or to financial security or something else to give you the fulfillment only Jesus can drink of the living water again today and never thirst again? Jesus, I thank you for how you've changed me. I get to see you change hundreds of people every year. It's real, it's true, it works. I pray that everyone hearing this today would experience the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.